This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right, friends, uh, Jared Fishman here, the uh, 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. So, uh, you know, in a way, like, I don't feel like I necessarily need to introduce this particular game pretty heavily um, in the sense that it is one of the most popular historical war games that there is. And in so many different ways, um, in the early 2000s, it, it, it kind of set the benchmark for what a company might look like when they're producing all of their miniatures and their rules and their dice in a really, really modern way. So Flames of War, if you're a gamer, you've probably heard of it. Where I first came into contact with that game is in the early 2000s, um, seeing uh, their 15 millimeter miniature tanks um, at gaming cons when I was a uh, not a young kid, but you know my early 20s. Um, so seeing the miniatures first and then seeing the game Flames of War and really just being blown away by the fact that whereas when I was really young, it, going to New York City and going to a place like the Complete Strategist, like you could find historical miniatures. But then that kind of went away for a while. And really all you're seeing is stuff like Warhammer 40K and stuff along those lines. And then, like I said, in the early 2000s actually being able to go to a comic book store and see Games Workshop stuff and then right next to it seeing a huge display of World War II miniatures and hearing kids and 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 adults alike talking about World War II. For somebody like me, an academic and a gamer, I was just totally blown away by that. And you can hear the excitement in my voice. Uh, for today's podcast, um, not only are we going to talk about these topics, but we'll, we're really going to talk about these topics with somebody who works for Battlefront uh, miniatures. And um, that is none other than Wayne Arthur Turner. Uh, he works for Battlefront, um, and he's done some work uh, on, an, again, another game that you've probably heard of, but Team Yankee, um, which to me is like the most genius thing Battlefront has done in a long time. Um, and he's done a lot of other work with the company as well. So I know that was super long-winded. Uh, Wayne, uh, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. Hopefully that introduction wasn't too boring. <laughs> no, no, it was all right. <laughs> no, sure, man. And by the way, for, for uh, you know, my listeners here, so uh, Wayne is out in New Zealand, so he is many, many hours ahead. Uh, we set this up so that uh, he's basically doing this in the morning, I'm doing it in the afternoon. So, all right, Wayne, um, like I said, it's really cool that, uh, you you know, you're willing to do this. So um, I guess maybe just in terms of starting, um, how'd you get into games? Oh, um, I started I started role playing games when I was like, uh, or we call it intermediate school. I assume, I assume it's similar to your American middle school. I think. Oh, okay, yeah, um, that makes sense. Uh, I know I was. You know, you're about eleven, twelve when you go to uh, intermediate school. So, yeah, that's yeah. like sixth grade. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that's before before you go to high school. So you go two years at intermediate school, then you go to high school. Yeah. So I, I started doing role playing games. I had a teacher who um, he didn't get us into role playing games, but he read us. The Hobbit in the first year of uh, intermediate school. So oh yeah, read classic. The Hobbit and uh, sort of, so I got into reading fantasy stuff as well. Um, 
So I played a bit of D&D, um, played some Gamma World of all things. Uh, it was the second role-playing game we ever played. A um, mate of mine brought a copy of Aftermath. We played a bunch of Aftermath for a while. That's a really old one. But I think Fantasy Games Unlimited it came out in the, oh, I don't know, late late 70s, early 80s, that mm-hmm. game came out. Yeah, so yeah, this is back in, um, well, when was it? Uh, uh, World Cup in Spain was on for soccer, so it would have been 80, 81, I think. 81 yeah, that's intermediate. About right. Yep. So in 81, 82, I, it was intermediate school, yeah. So around that time I got in, and then I think in the second year of intermediate school, I discovered that people actually played games with miniatures. So Because oh, I was thinking about, oh, D&D, why can't we have big battles with lots of stuff? And then I discovered... There was like there was actually a, a Dungeon and Dragons mass combat game, but I don't think it was very successful. Uh, I did try and get a hold of a copy of it, but being in New Zealand, it's a bit hard to get hold of things. You have to like uh, if if a shop doesn't have it, you've got a mail order, basically. Right, especially back yeah. in the day too, because like so many of our li- like my listeners, our listeners, you know, a lot of folks that are living in sort of like you know the modern world or whatever, like when they press a button and they can just have whatever they want. I can remember yeah. back in the day, just like having to order miniatures like it, you know from like a catalog so i can't even imagine what it was like if you really wanted something in new zealand you probably have to wait like months for it to even arrive right yeah yeah um and then of course back in those days white dwarf the the uh, games workshop magazine was an actual role-playing magazine so that was on the on the shelf where the shop that did sell role-playing stuff would, would have uh, dragon magazine and white dwarf um and then i discovered the uh, warhammer game through the white dwarf so Okay, buying, gotcha. Buying figures for that, yeah. So you so were I, playing, you were playing Games Workshop games in like the eighties. Yeah, basically uh, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, I always loved those miniatures because, like, I st- I started playing a little later than that. Um, I I was playing like in the mid mid nineties. So like, I was playing essentially like forty uh, k second edition and like Warhammer Fantasy Battle second and third edition. So like like to me, it's like the classic era, you know, of of minis. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I brought I brought the original, not the original Warhammer because the original Warhammer box was uh, like a white box. Mm-hmm. A bit of uh, John Blanche art on the front, um, uh, but the second edition was a kind of more ready yellow box. I can't, uh, I can't remember what was on the cover of it, but that was yeah. the one I brought. And it had like three book: had a magic book, a army book, and a, and a rule book. Oh yeah, that yeah, that like totally of, brings me back. Yeah, a bunch of cardboard fold-up terrain that you could make buildings and things. And then but it didn't come with an army, like not like today where you get a couple of start armies. It was then you from that point you brought some, so. To, to actually get the games workshop figures, I had to actually mail order them. So that was, I remember bar- asking my mum if I could use her credit card. This was like, you know, this would have been the 80s, mid-80s. Asking mm-hmm. my mum if I could borrow her credit card, give her the money, and then I had to ring up the games workshop, mail order people, and then you know, uh, d- dictate my order over the phone to them, and then they'd send it to me. But it seems a bit weird now with the internet where, as you say, you can just click on a click on the yeah, product, no, totally. your basket and get them. Yeah, totally. It's like a to- it's a totally different world, you know. Um, so let me ask something. So, like, you know, when you're playing, um, uh, you know, especially like if we want to focus on like Warhammer or other miniatures games in the '80s, um, what drew you to them? Was it the miniatures? Was it the painting? Was it the terrain building? Was it just the the rules? Like, what what really attracted you? I was. I mean, coming from Coming from originally from role playing games, it was it was the idea of having those big battles. So the miniatures, it was part of the miniatures, but it was also the idea of um, having the simplified rules. Well, not simplified, but you know, rules designed to 
have lots of stuff on the table as opposed to the you know the more kind of individual combat you get with a role playing game. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that. Um because I've had so many different rules authors, um, you know, and people, you know, from the industry um, on this pod, we this has come up a, a lot. I'm with you. Like, again, you might be a little bit older than me, but I, I would say the same thing. Like when I was younger, especially like in the mid 90s, to me, like um, having the massive table with the massive amount of figures playing for, you know, four or five hours or sometimes even longer that to me was like a drawback in the day though i would say like as we've sort of almost like as gaming has sort of modernized especially miniatures whatever it does seem like the tables are getting smaller the figures are getting bigger you know you know things along those lines i don't know if you've necessarily noticed that um yeah i've noticed there is a trend in a lot of the games that are coming out now that are the more skirmishy games and even even the historical games um like um when Saga first came out for Dark Ages and stuff, that was that was quite popular. But that was a game that you only needed about thirty or forty figures to play. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. And yeah. look, to give your company credit, right? And I know we haven't got into like how you came across Battlefront and how long you've been there. We'll get into that. But mm. when I think about something like Saga, I feel like so many companies today and so many games can draw their lineage back to the way that first Flames of War rulebook was really set up and the way that that game really took miniatures and really modernized it from what it was back in the day where you're just buying figures from a manufacturer and trying to hope to find a set of rules. Whereas for Battlefront, I mean, they really are a pioneer when it comes to we are going to make everything that you need for this game and all you need to do is come to us to play it, which I think is really important in the grand scheme of things. Well, I think there was a plan from the start when when Pete, Pete the owner of the company at the time, when I started, um, um, he he wanted his vision was to do the whole thing. It was the idea: is we make a game, we're going to supply everything, we're going to supply the uh, miniatures and the rules, and eventually, we when we uh, purchased Scale Force Nine, we ended up with the ability to do the terrain as well. So, yeah, so that all became kind of the, the whole product, you could, right? Um, get everything in one place, sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Now, let me ask you, um, how did you end up working for Battlefront? Where is this sort of connection? Like, I've always wondered, like, how one gets a job with a company oh, like that. <laughs> well, in the early days, of, so when Flames of War was still under development before we released the first edition, uh, Phil was working on the rules with, with, uh, in conjunction with uh, Pete and some of the guys that have here in Auckland. Phil lived down in Wanganui, which is a little, little city um, about two-thirds of the way down the top from the top of the North Island. So it's, uh, sorry, it's near the bottom. So it's uh, about it's about two hours, two and a half hours drive away from Wellington. So okay. going north. Yeah. And I lived in Palmerston North, which is another small city uh, 45 minutes down the road. So um, I knew Evan, which Evan's our uh, Battlefront sculptor. Okay. So it, it, when, when, Battle, when Battlefront was uh, back in the days when it was um, before Pete – before Pete took it over, because Pete brought it off a, like a, a, I think it was a, it was about four or five guys who owned a company called Military Miniatures, mm -hmm. and they did they did stuff like they manufactured um, some other ranges under license in New Zealand, and also had a few ranges of their own. And Evan had done some sculpting for them. Um, he'd done actually done some one three hundred scale stuff uh, for them, and then Pete got to know Evan. And uh, and then Pete had this idea of doing a 15 mil game, 
So he talked to Evan, and Evan, Evan's looked about. So he he started the sculpting. Uh, they got, a, I don't know how Pete, Pete met Phil, I think, at some sort of War Games convention, I think. And they got to talking about the project, and Phil came on board as a uh, as a writer. So, and then they, and then because I knew Evan, uh, Evan introduced me to, uh, introduced me to Pete, and then Pete asked me to do to help Phil. So I ended up helping Phil with writing and stuff on the first edition of the rules. Oh, so, so you've so you've been with the company since the very beginning. It sounds like yeah, yeah. So very um, cool. I mean, I. I, I got a lot of the stuff I was doing was kind of the stuff around the sides rather than the, writing the main rules because Phil, Phil, Phil had it all under control. But I was involved in a lot of the playtesting. Uh, it's an interesting thing for the, the um, evolution of uh, Flames Board before it got to what people saw. It's kind of, we did, there's all sorts of things we tried out. Um, at one point, you could, um, we were, um, when you, you know, have pin down markers. At one point, you collected a bunch of pin down markers. <laughs> so as the game went on, then you had to get rid of them. <laughs> gotcha. No, but it's yeah. interesting, though. I mean, like, uh, it must have taken a lot of playtesting to get Flames of War to where it is today. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, we um, we had a, a quite a, a reasonable large group of people playtesting it. We had a bunch of people in Wellington. I think a few people up in Auckland. There was a scattered around in New Zealand just doing playtesting, and then. For a while, we had we even ran a I think we ran a tournament with um, with the playtest version of the late war Armulus, which is interesting because when we actually released the book, we did mid war. Right. <laughs> so we actually late the people been we've been playing late war for uh, Flames of War for much longer than we actually played mid war. So because we did all the testing with late war stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, the late war is kind of um, even though. It's a little bit macabre because we are talking about a simulation of, you know, like this awful conflict, but it's yes, just a yes. lot, you know, but, but there's a lot more cool toys in the late war, you know, um, just yeah, in yeah. terms, you know what I mean? Like in terms of the different kinds of tank models you can have and anti-tank guns and stuff like that. Lots of stuff that go boom, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, you've got to go a lot more, um, all the, all the iconic things people think about when they think Germans in that mostly in the late war. I mean, you go no, back for to, sure. Yeah, you go back to 42, 43, you've got the Tiger 1, but you don't have all those other things like King Tigers and Yank Tigers and Yank Panthers. And, yeah. You know, and the Panthers only new and slightly um, unreliable in, in like 42 when it uh, 43 when it first arrives. Right. You know what's actually kind of interesting about that is like I think that even – because I teach a course on military history. So – it's it's interesting, like, even for kids that are not gamers, you know, when they think World War II and they think Germany, they think that German technology, you know, in 1945 is kind of like the same standard in 1939. And their little minds are, like, blown when you actually start talking about, you know, gear and technology and stuff. And it's like, actually, like, the French tanks and the British tanks were kind of better, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, than the Germans. And, and the, I think the majority, that gets, yeah. yeah, gets forgotten. The majority of the German tanks in like 1939 were like Panzer 1s and 2s. <laughs> yeah, for sure, which, which are uh, like garbage, you know? Yeah, the Panzer 1 wasn't even designed to be a battle tank. It was meant to be like a, a training tank. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So like students are always kind of kind of blown away by that. So it's just it's just so um, uh, interesting too, like just to think about um, Battlefront and Flames of War as like a set of rules. And we can get kind of granular here, you know? This is my compliment to you guys. 
Uh, my compliment is this, you know, when I played World War II games, and don't get me wrong, there's other World War II games out there that are very solid. But if you think about the World War II games that were around before Flames of War, it's like those kinds of games with no offense meant, but like those kinds of games where you're like, you've got 80,000 charts in front of you. You're counting how many rivets are on the turret. You know, you're trying to figure out like at what angle did the shell hit the turret and what version of the tank is this and what would have happened. I mean... When Flames yeah. of War comes around, it's just like an entirely different world where um, it's not even necessarily that the game is quote-unquote dumbed down, which is the most awful term that gamers love to use, but it's just so much more of an abstracted, fun kind of game, you know, compared to all of those, you know, charts and, you know, uh, you know, having to memorize 80,000 rules to play a game, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the idea was never to create a simulation. It was to create a tabletop game that's playable. I mean, that's, that was the main aim of Phil's and Pete's design spec. spec so, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, and again, like, and I'm obviously, I, you're aware of this, but like, I mean, every major convention you go to in the States, I mean, there's always a Flames of War tournament, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. even more than one, which is really awesome, you know. Is the game oh. as popular in New Zealand as it is in other places? Yeah, I think if you go to a, uh, 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 when we do have a big tournament, that you have multiple games played at. Because most of the time here, you'll have a, a theme tournament. It'll be, oh, we're having a Flames of War tournament here or we're doing whatever. But there, there used to be a couple of big ones. Uh, one called NatCon, which was a, like the national convention. That, that was always at Easter, but this year it got cancelled and it moved to some other day. It's all a bit weird now because it seems to be a, a tradition that's kind of died. But right. If you, um, in the last few years that I've had it, Flames of War has always been one of the bigger um, tournaments along with uh, 40k is normally quite big as well. Um, Warhammer to a lesser extent. I think what Warhammer has kind of died off with the introduction of the Age of Sigma was you know a lot of the people who played Warhammer are kind of the um, old school who who want, didn't want Warhammer to go. They wanted then <laughs> so that. But I think Age of Sigma is probably growing again. Um, yeah, and ancients yeah. always used ancients always used to be popular as well. I remember when I when I because when I when I was talking earlier about when I uh, got into Warhammer. The trouble with when I got into Warhammer is I brought my dwarf army and I painted this this dwarf army up, and they went down to my local club, and no one else played Warhammer. Oh <laughs> no, that's all. awful! And I ended up playing. Uh, I ended up getting into playing um, Ancients. So I was playing uh, the old WRG Seventh Edition Ancients. <sighs> oh man! So, um, I like medieval stuff, so I, I did a Scots army. Yeah, I yeah. Painted the like a later Hungarian, and a, I can't remember what else I did. I think I did a. Um, yeah, that's and a classic Irish game. Army. Yeah, so so I, I used to go to tournaments and play that occasionally, um, which is always interesting because um, because of the number of people playing, it was usually you know, usually 20, 20, maybe maybe twenty four people playing a tournament of ancients, but because it's covering what five thousand no how many three thousand years of history probably longer four thousand years of history. <laughs> Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I have these weird matchups where I had my Scots Common medieval army from the from the um, like early fifteenth century, and uh, I'd be facing some weird uh, Macedonian pike block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I I played a lot of DBA, which yeah. um, you know, same author, and um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think what's I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I mean, like on one hand, there is something very novel about creating a set of rules like WRG or creating a set of rules like DBA in which 
it's so abstracted that you can do that. But there's mm-hmm. also still something a little bit weird about, you know, you know, what medium infantry might be in 1000 AD might not be the same thing that medium infantry is in 2000 BC, you know? Yeah. So it, can, it, 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 I don't know. It could, it could feel a little generic at times, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause I, we, I played Sims edition for a long time. There was always, there was always flaws and we always had ideas about how we could improve it within our mm-hmm. clubbing and our gaming group. And there was even some guys in the States at one point produced their own version of it where they'd, they'd done all their modifications to it. I don't know how, how that took off, mm-hmm. but, um, but when, but when DBM came out, of course, Phil Barker, the author of, of, of most of the rules at WRG, he, I think he abandoned you know, that type of rule and moved into the DBA, DBM style thing. And I always, I, always, I, found, I found the DB games a bit too abstract. Mm-hmm. I always, I, you kind of lost the sense that you had units of things. Yeah, because it was all one glorious kind of a block, and I kind of I like the I like the the sense that I had a unit of oh, here's my this is a this is a unit of pike and this is a unit of um you know, a peltas or whatever it is. But um, even though you kind of still had that in DBM, they were kind of they could all be squished together and moved about in the big lumps sort of thing. <laughs> no, totally, and 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 I don't know, I don't know Full Barker. I don't think I ever met him. Um, or, or, or anything like that. Um, I think he pa- passed away a few I, years ago. I think yeah. you're, I think you're right though. Audience yeah. don't quote me on that, but, um, yeah. he did that a lot. I mean, he abandoned projects a lot. And I know for a fact that even with stuff like DBA, like there were definitely groups that, I don't know, didn't necessarily hijack his rules, but because he was so hands off with the game, I mean, you know, at the same time that DBA 3.0 came out, there was a whole nother group of people in the States that almost like made their own DBA, you know, and, yeah. and, and at cons, like it kind of ruined things to be honest, because then you've got some people who play DBA 3.0, some people who play 2.2 plus, you know, some people who play like the new offshoot game and it, you know, it, that kind of fracture, you know, can really ruin a gaming community, you know? Yeah. Well, I think in New Zealand, the ancients community, kind of fractured a bit as well because um, d- when DBM first came out, a lot of the people who played 7th edition adopted it. And then we had a few years of DBM tournaments, um, which I never played because I, I, I didn't like the rules. Right. But, um, but then they then FOG came out, the Osprey rules, which retained the same basings. So you could use the same armies for either. And that was, that was the one good thing about DBM, it retained the same basing from yeah. So there was no changes there. You didn't have to change your army. I mean, a lot of the time you had to change the army because I think my Scots Common army, the number of uh, spearmen I had in it tripled or something because of BB. Right. <laughs> that was another reason I never got into it because I didn't oh, have yeah. enough to actually fill my army. But, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but that fractured. So there was people still playing DBM. There was people playing Fog. And now, uh, and then they're, they're kind of also, they always get the traditional split between people who played in 15 mil and people who played in 28 mil. So you got those, you got those two groups as well. And then I think, and then over the years, there's less of them coming along to um, So you, you go to a, if you went to one of those big tournaments now, there'd be uh, the, the ancients might be in two different tournaments and there might only be 10 people playing in each sort of thing yeah right right yeah it's it's difficult and and again like that's whereas some people might be at times you know critical of battlefront for different reasons i mean for me like i think the fact that yes the rules have 
uh, undergone some major changes over the years. But the bottom line is there's a lot of similarities between the first edition and the newest one. And the bottom line is like, you know, if you play Flames of War or any of its iterations and you go to a tournament, um, you're not going to be in the same kind of boat where it's like you have to wonder, is that my game going to be in the same scale? Uh, is my army still going to be viable? You know, how are things going to change? So it's like, again, like I feel like it's a very modern approach to the hobby. Mm. Yeah, we're very aware that people don't like don't like rebasing. People don't like oh, it's uh, the devil. Too, too too many changes. I mean, I, I, another another area I am interested in that we haven't really covered uh, mm -hmm. at Battlefront itself is um, the Pionics and kind of horse and musket type stuff. I, and I it's one of my, um, my favorite historical periods, but it's the worst when it comes to rules and basing. Oh, yeah. no one. There's no. There's no standardization. No one uses the same base sizes. No one. Yeah. No one even uses the same. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, figure scale. Not figure scale as in the scale of the models, but the scale, the ratio of man to people. Right. And units. Like uh, the biggest, most popular Napoleonic set of rules here in, in New Zealand was the fog ones for a while. Really, that that's interesting. Weird, weird regimental based system. So your your units are regiments, not Italians, which I find weird because a regiment is really a, a unit of administration, not an actual unit of tactical. <laughs> right. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you only have to look at the organization of a French brigade to see that um, to see that they can be either made of one regiment or two regiments or sometimes three regiments because they were they were just looking at the number of battalions they had. Yeah. I joke with some of the younger guys that have recently gotten into historical wargaming, like in my own sort of group, and honestly, finding a Napoleonic rule set that everybody likes and everybody will play, it's like finding the Holy Grail from like the Indiana mm -hmm. Jones movies. I mean, it's just, it's so difficult. I would say that it's more difficult, like even pre like Flames of War, like there was less arguing about rule sets in World War II than there ever was in, um, you know, stuff like Napoleonics and such, you know, and you're right, yeah. like yeah. with games especially Napoleonics where you need a lot of figures most of the time. If you have to rebase things for a new game, I mean, it, it just could be like, I can't even imagine rebasing my own collection, you know, out of what it's in now into something new to play a new game. So I guess what I'm trying to say, Wayne is if battlefront ever <laughs> decided to kind of go in the direction of Napoleonics, I'd be very interested. Let's just leave it at that, <laughs> you know? Um, so let me ask you something because I've brought this up on my podcast a number of times. Um, and I know that before we got on, we, we, we were talking a little bit about this. To me, I think the Team Yankee concept um, that Flames of War has sort of um, hitched its wagon to, so to speak, I think it's one of the most genius things the company's ever done because of the the different possibilities that 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 the company can sort of have now and directions it can go in. Um, and I yeah, know you've yeah. done a lot of work with Team Yankee, correct? Yeah, I mean, I kind of um, Phil did the original. Um, uh, he, he did the original rule book, and um, and then the first, the first, the British supplement, uh, and he and most of the Volks army one. Mm -hmm. And then I I inherited uh, the project from him, and I I did the, uh, the West Germans, and then the then the expanded book and the expanded American book. Right. Uh, and then it's then I've pretty much done everything from there. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. So, um, and I also do, uh, I do, I've done a lot of late war, Flames of War books as well. Uh, right. Phil, Phil chips in every now and again, but Phil, Phil's kind of semi-retired now. So he's, um, he's only working three days a week. 
Okay, so he, gotcha. So yeah, so he he he's got a lot of uh, other projects he works on as well. Like um, he's doing a few board games and things like that now. Gotcha. So by the way, pausing for one second. So for for the audience out there, because I know I may have rushed that a little bit. So for my audience, for anybody who's ever heard of Flames War, um, Team Yankee is one of the newest games that Battlefront has put out, and essentially. Um, it's it's essentially World War III. It the idea kind of stemmed from a a book in the eighties um, about like what, you know what would happen um, if there was like a Soviet invasion of Germany. Um, you know, like I said, in the mid eighties, I think eighty five. Um, yeah, eighty five, yeah, right? And it's just this thing that again, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm wrong Wayne, but did Battlefront ever assume that Team Yankee would be as big as it is, or did it just sort of start as like a little, a little idea? Well, it started. It was an idea. Um, I think Pete Pete had reread Team Yankee at some point uh, just before the project, and he decided this would be a good thing to do as a as a thing. And we'd previously done uh, the Nam uh, period and the um, Vietnam, and also the Fate of the Nation for Arab Israeli Wars. Right. Um, both of those had been um, had gone through iterations, kind of under the B uh, version three style of Flames of War rules, um, and then eventually they got done as um, uh, we published them through Osprey actually um, as mm -hmm. um, as version four uh, under the version four rules. Um, but we thought when we first did Team Yankee, that was before we'd done that with those two. Uh, we thought, oh, let's do. Let's do Team Yankee as a as a small project, and it's got it will have the like because the original rulebook came with uh, Soviet and uh, American forces in it. Yep. Uh, and and the idea was, oh, well, if this, this goes all right, it'll, it'll it'll be fine. And if it if it proves to be popular, we can expand from there. So and then so and it did. It was it, it proved to be really popular. And I think I think the 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 plan with that was also was be kind of like the first. Of our projects that would be uh, have the majority be plastic when it first came out. So we had um, so we did plastic T seventy twos and um, plastic M uh, ones, um, and then uh, we had the M one thirteen already for from the Vietnam range, uh, and but we added uh, BMPs, uh, so which um, a kit that does a BMP one and a BMP two, B two, and that, that covered most of the plastic uh, vehicles that, that the bulk of mo most people's armies would be. Um, and that, I think that proved popular because the uh, it was um, the kits were, uh, were were quite nice, um, and uh, pe people were kind of take, taken by. And I, and I think there's a there's an element of um, uh, people who who'd served in, uh, especially in America, who'd served maybe not in the 80s but in the 90s or whatever, and 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 recognised a lot of the vehicles and and thought, oh. Yeah, this would be cool, cool, cool to do. Yeah. No, for sure. Absolutely. And again, like, you know, for, for audience out there, I mean, this kind of game just opens up so many possibilities. Or don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously, the company is basing, um, you know, all of these different models of tanks on reality. But there's just a lot of different possibilities, like what if scenarios, which war gamers love, you know, like what would have happened if this happened or what would have happened if this tank, you know, uh, got into a lot of engagements with this particular tank, you know, so it just opens yeah. up so many doors. And also, too, like, um, and again, like I, I know I had mentioned this off air, but, you know, I'll mention it here for everybody to hear. I mean, the tricky thing um, for 
you know, some historical miniatures, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, companies that are making models. I mean, there's only so many, you know, Shermans that one can make, and there's only so many Shermans that one could buy. But the second that you start branching out into, um, you know, these hypothetical situations and new armies and, you know, new potential conflicts that didn't really happen. Yeah. And now like it's an even better business model in a way, you know? Yeah, there's lots of potentials. I mean, at the moment we've, um, as, as I, think I mentioned to you off here earlier, was that we, we, even though we're, it's a set in 1985, we've added a lot of stuff from the late 80s and early 90s as options because of the theory that um, that you know as a war goes on, the technological te- uh, the like um, investment in new equipment is at a faster rate, such as it happened in World War Two. So you're going to get some things that are uh, maybe on the drawing board or under testing might enter combat early. And it also it, it allows people who are who are buying your stuff to actually do other things. But you don't have to, have to use our setting. You can you can make your own setting. And, um, yeah, if you want to do uh, the 1990 uh, well, Gulf War, you can. If you want right, to for sure. um, do a hypothetical some other war somewhere, um, yeah, we've got most of the stuff you can do, and you can usually work out you know, even if we don't have a, a nation, you could probably proxy another nation as that nation to to, to field them. Yeah. No, definitely for sure. So, um, so Wayne, what is what does your average day look like working for Battlefront? I mean, are you doing similar things on a daily basis, like during the workday, or is it all kind of dependent on what project you're working on? Yeah, um, I'm doing a lot of the similar things, but it depends on the yeah on the project I'm working on. So. Um, uh, I'm working on some stuff at the moment that I can't talk about. <laughs> oh no, that's <laughs> but, fine. <laughs> yeah, but um, like uh, 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 we've got playtesting going on, so I go check the playtest forum and read a bit of the feedback from people on playtest, uh, make any adjustments that might have, might be evident from that. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of like if, if you're making making a, a, a briefing or an army list from scratch, you've got to you know, do the research, work out how they're organised. Um, and then we've got a database that Phil will set up that um, that we use for calculating points. So Phil knows all the stuff in the background, but I can I can use the, use the interface and basically you can you can build a vehicle. So you set up its um, its armor scheme, work out what the armor is, mm-hmm. um, set up an armor scheme, you set up a mobility scheme based on its uh, its weight and its power and its power and width of strength, how long it is, and all that. And then you yeah, go it's and, a lot of research. Its, yeah, add its weapons and stuff, and that it'll create you a vehicle. Then you can put that vehicle in units, and then give it a ratings, and and it'll it'll calculate the points at the end. Um, and then you know, and that that'll give you all the basic information for you. Uh, in Flames of War. We've got that set up as a as a um, what do you call it? Like a data merge. So we've, basically, it'll generate the card. Just tidy that up in InDesign, and then that'll, you've got your card generated from straight off. And then at some point later in the project, the, the graphics of my guys will take some photos of some models when the models are painted and, and added to the card. Uh, like the writing for the, I mean, the writing for the books is normally split into several things. There's um, like it, like we do in Team Yankee and in a lot of Flames War books now, we'll have uh, kind of little bits of fiction, little bits of uh, stories that have put under things. So. Usually we try and get outside people to write those, so we've got a few people who are keen to write those sort of things. So organising outside uh, input as well as part of my job. Um, 
then organising writing the backgrounds and histories, uh, doing the kind of little the blurbs for under each unit as well. We've got to organise that, uh, and we also organise any scenarios or missions we want to add to a book. So and they require some playtesting as well, especially the scenarios. So much because scenarios are like a one-off game where all you want people to do is have a fun game. Right. Well, a mission may be used in a more kind of competitive. So you get, need needs a bit more vigorous playtesting when, when you create a mission. And missions are. It, uh, you may have noticed that from the more missions pack, the missions are kind of getting updated and changed and slightly modified all the time. Phil tries to, so people don't come, become too confused. He makes a major change to a mission, normally gives it a new name, even though it might be very similar to another mission. But just right. so people know it's different. So. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. So did you did you sort of like set out to work for a wargaming company? Or um, um, do you know what I not mean? really. <laughs> so it, it, so I, it sounds like it just sort of happened. I, I um, when I left uh, high school, I uh, got, I got an apprenticeship as a typographer, which is mm-hmm. a person who works in a printing company. So I actually worked for a newspaper. So it wasn't it was unlike someone who worked at a printing company that I got a big variety of different jobs to do. I, working for a newspaper is really dull. <laughs> you do the same thing every day, right? Uh, eventually, after working there for them for eight years, they they gave me. They gave me redundancy because they were doing um, they were doing restructuring because they, the job to change. Technically, actually, my job wouldn't have changed at all, but they were offering actually reducing staff. So a lot of the guys who'd been there much longer than me had been had been through various different changes, and, and it was like a technology change redundancy. So they were given a some of them got quite large amounts of money for their redundancy payment because they'd been there for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even they offered me enough that I went. Okay, I'm going to take this. So I take that, and I went overseas for about oh, six months. Just travelled around. Uh, I, went, I went. So I went to China and then Russia, and then I travelled around the UK. Uh, I had a working holiday visa, but in the end, I decided uh, it was like I applied for a couple of jobs. It just, uh, but most of them were kind of tedious, menial jobs, and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. So I used the rest of my money up and then went home again. And then when I got home, I. Um, I decided to go to university, and then I did. So I did a history degree at university, mm-hmm. and it was while I was doing my masters. So I'd done my first year of my masters, and then I was invited by Pete to come and work for them. So I was doing that part time while studying for the first. That was actually during my maybe my actual first year of my masters, and then in the second year they asked to come for me to come up and work full time. And I said, oh, okay, I'll do that. But when I got up there, I ended up, my job ended up being factory manager, <laughs> which was a bit right. weird. <laughs> because I had to wrangle people who weren't that enthusiastic about working. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Always a hard job. Um, and then um, we had another guy who was working for us called Richard, and uh, he'd, he'd had previous experience as a, as a games workshop store manager and things like that. So we actually swapped jobs. So he ended up coming, becoming the factory manager. And I ended up taking his job, which was as the website content manager. Oh, okay. So I ended up, I ended up doing that. So I did that for, for a few years. Then eventually I started helping out with the writing oh, that's um, very as cool. well. But I'd previously done some writing when I was working with Phil early before I came moved to Auckland to work at the actual company. Right. So, yeah. so when you were getting a history degree, if you never would have um, started working with Battlefront, what, what was your plan to use your degree for? Oh, I don't know. Um, I probably would have ended up being a teacher like he was. Oh, no, that's cool. <laughs> gotcha. It just goes so well, yeah. like hand in hand, you know? And yeah, because I would have had to go, um, which I finished my master's, and then I would have either, if I 
I don't think I don't. Sure, I'm not sure I would have wanted to go and do a PhD because that's sort of commitment. This is a three year commitment after that. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I would have had to go to teacher's college for a year. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. What were you studying specifically? Like, did you have like an area of focus? Uh, oh, for my for my masters, I my first my research exercise for the first year was um, tactical change within the New Zealand division during World War One. Oh, sweet! That's a very interesting topic. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then my master's was going to be about um, uh, whether the uh, extent and causes of the morale collapse in the New Zealand division during 1918. So you've got that that period in 1918 where everybody's morale collapsed, but the New Zealand division was affected like everybody else. So I was going to look at things like um, go down to the um, Trentham Army archives and look at um, discipline uh documents and things like that just to see if the rate of desertions and all that sort of thing was actually higher at that time or not. Yeah. 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 That, that, I, that sort of thing. yeah. Sorry. Cause <laughs> I, I, I felt like I was talking over you. It's just cause I'm very excited okay. because I, I also, that was what I studied, not New Zealand specifically, but most of my graduate work was centered around world war one. If you saw the collection of World War One miniatures I have in this house that I'm recording this podcast in. You would, <laughs> you would, you would probably think that I'm out of my mind because I have World War One in like five different scales. So I've got, I've got it in two scales. I've got 28 mil and 15 mil. <laughs> very cool. Now, very, very cool. Um, so. Um, it, it sounds like Battlefront, and again, I, I'm not trying to poke you for information, but it sounds like Battlefront is doing really well, like, and just seems to always be moving forward and moving forward and moving forward in terms of their products. Yeah, I mean, because Battlefront's kind of got a, a lot of other things going on because they also own Gale Force 9, so we produce board games and things as well. Right. Um, so there's always something new coming out. Um, I think I think Flames of War and Tineki have continued to be kind of the mainstay of uh, of, of of things for us, or especially in, New, in the New Zealand studio because that's where we produce that stuff. The board games are a bit more spread out because we do some in New Zealand and then some get done in the UK. Just a little team in the UK does a few board games. Uh, they normally get a lot of uh, a lot of the board games they produce have uh, uh, like a third party writer has written mm-hmm. the board game and then they'll do all the graphic design and, and stuff like that. No, very cool. So, um, just in terms of, you know, the, the, the sort of company moving forward, um, do you, and again, you don't have to necessarily reveal anything that you're not allowed to, but like, um, do you imagine that, um, you know, team Yankee is going to get some more releases and, um, you know, a little, you know, a little bit more in terms of like the kinds of armies that you could kind of field in the game? Yeah, um, we've got some ideas for doing some stuff in the future that uh, might like maybe be um, a bit later sort of stuff. It's like is a not so much kind of Team Yankee, but Team Yankee is a separate another thing sort of thing. Um, and also, we've got some plans to do some early stuff as well. I think that's already been mentioned by Pete probably at some point. Is that the whole Checkpoint Charlie idea is the is doing. The war in uh, doing World War Three in um, Europe, but at the same time as like Nam and Fate of the Nation, so it'll be all part of the same, the same period basically. So a bit like Flames, it would be a different period. Like, yeah, I know that makes sense. Yeah. Almost like an extension of World War Two on some level. Yeah, some 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 of that. Uh, though 
like checkpoint Charlie we're thinking more kind of 65 to 75 sort of thing. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of that Vietnam and Arab Israeli war period. We haven't um, got some ideas for uh, doing some stuff for uh, late, like what if World War Two stuff as well as uh, maybe late, uh, maybe that kind of early Cold War as well. Um, yeah. Um, but like Team uh, Team Yankee itself or um, uh, has got Nordic Forces came out this weekend, mm-hmm. which is that's got uh, Finns and Swedes and Norwegians and Danes in it. And then we're also doing a updated, basically a NATO, it's called NATO Forces, and that'll be an updated um, version of um, uh, what was the other book called? Uh, Free Nations. Mm-hmm. Yes. So so that, that that that'll have all the same stuff as Free Nations, but some extra equipment for them, and then plus we're adding another army to that as well. No, very cool. So it sounds like there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. So just because of um time, I'm just looking um we're going to start to wrap up just a little bit here. Um so let me ask something Wayne. Like I have a lot of listeners out there that this very well may be the first time they're being exposed to Battlefront miniatures in a game like Flames of War. Um if you were working with somebody who really wanted to get into the hobby and really was interested in Battlefront miniatures, what kind of advice would you give them about where to start or how to think about getting into the hobby? What, what would your advice be? Mm. Oh, it's a, yeah, interesting. Um, well, we've got a bunch of uh, like starter sets that are just an easy, easy way to introduce to the game because they have two small forces and uh, the, the the rule book, a small version of the rule book, as well as a cut down fast play uh, pamphlet that this is, runs you through the, the basics of the game, and um, it's it's fundamentally a pretty simple game to to know how it works. It's yeah, it's it's, it's it um, it can become more complex as you as you learn more about the game and that, but at the fundamental level, it's pretty easy to learn. Yeah. I agree with yeah. you. I completely yeah. agree with you. Uh, you know, and again, for my listeners out there, again, if you've never heard of this game before, um, one of the things that I like the most about it actually is the fact that the rule book itself is very thin in a lot of ways. Like thin in the sense that there's not an overwhelming amount of information that you need to memorize. And what's even cooler is that every unit type has a card. And on that card is all of the different information that you might need to know for that unit. So, for example, if you are, if you, I don't know, I'm just off the top of my head. If you're playing Flames of World, World War II and you're, you're an American player and you're moving your Shermans, you know, you have a card with all the information that you might need to know. Easy, compact, what you need to hit, what they save on, yada, yada, yada. And all the information is just right there for you, which, again, is a really novel and very modern concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's 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 it was kind of Pete wanted it to be pretty easy to um, to get into. He didn't want it to. I mean, I played a few, I played games with Pete, and Pete 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 gets annoyed by too much complexity. So mm-hmm. no, <laughs> yeah, that's so, fine. Yeah. I mean, again, like coming out of the seventies and the eighties, where I was just talking to um the Little Wars TV guys. I don't know if you've ever seen any of their videos on YouTube. Um, no, I Wayne, think, have you? No, I've, I've heard of them, but I haven't. Don't think they're I've great. Them. They're yeah. awesome. Like, and and I was talking to one of those guys at Historicon, um, you know, uh, which happened very recently, and you know, we both agreed on the fact that again, like, it seemed like what people thought was a good game back in the day was something that was just 
unbelievably complex. And if you were playing anything other than something that was super complex, it was almost like there was something wrong with you for playing that game. And mm. thankfully, that has gone by the wayside. Um, you know, and I think nowadays, I think I think what people want is to be able to sit down and in two hours have a fun time and a completed game, as opposed to sitting there for seven hours, you know, trying to get to some kind of resolution because most of the time you're just reading charts, essentially. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think I think some um I think during the seventies and eighties there was kind of a push to get more of a simulation, but yeah. Um, yeah Sometimes a simulation is, as you say, it, it requires too much complexity and, 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 and it becomes a non-fun game. I remember, yeah. I remember playing the old WRG um, moderns and, and that wasn't a super complex game. That was actually, fundamentally, the rules were quite simple, but it had this system where you had to do the, the terrain setup and thing at the start. And you spent an hour doing that before you'd actually start playing. And that was kind <laughs> of... It was, that would that put me off because yeah, you know yeah, yeah. You, had a, you had a couple of hours in the afternoon at the at the war games club to play a game and you spent an hour setting up the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild, you know what I mean. So again, like I I do appreciate the fact that so many modern games are kind of like moving you know a bit away from that, which is great. Mm. Um, so I guess my last question, just to sort of wrap up, is um, while I, you know I, I feel like. I have a good enough sense of like, you know, some of the directions that Battlefront is going in. But what about you personally? Like, um, what are your favorite, um, you know, time periods to work on? And is there anything on your painting table uh, right now that you want to talk about? Oh, um, uh, I'm, I, I really, I really enjoy the Team Yankee stuff. I, I wish I could play more games, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> right. But Flames, Flames of War still dominates most people's uh, thing around here. So uh, Right, right. But, but we are organizing um, one of their whole, um, because we've got a little shop in, in the uh, Battlefront uh, office. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got a few tables downstairs we can play this deck, and then there's a couple of tables in the shop that we can use. To, so we're going to have a tournament in a couple of weeks, uh, hopefully, uh, of Team Yankee, which will come kind of coincides with the Nordic forces. And so hopefully I'll be, I'll be umpiring, umpiring that and playing in that as well. So gotcha. it, that should be fun. So I've got some Norwegians to finish. I'm not sure I'm going to get finished in time though. So I might take another army. But um, I've got, um, so that's one thing I've got to finish painting is uh, my Norwegian army. Um, right. And also what am I also painting at the moment? Um, is, I haven't got anything urgent for Flames of War at the moment because I had a big project with uh, four, four of us at, at, at Battlefront. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen the big four of uh, late war. It's uh, me, uh, Chris, uh, Victor, and Casey. Uh, Chris is our studio manager, and uh, uh, Victor and Casey are our two graphic designers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so we, we've been doing armies, and I got the Germans. So I've painted heaps of Germans in the last couple of years just to doing that. Um, I've still got a few more units to do. I've got, I was going to do a bunch of late war infrared panthers, which I haven't uh, even assembled yet. Gotcha. <laughs> so they're, they're on my drawing board. And and one of my other side projects is nothing to do with anything that Battlefront does is I'm painting uh, 28 mil Crimean War stuff. So, I just, okay, just, gotcha. Just this morning, while I was waiting for you to come on, I uh, finished finished off a battalion of um, uh, French infantry. <laughs> oh, very cool. Now, do you have a rule set that you plan on using when they're done? Um, at the moment, at the moment, I'm going to probably just use black powder because it's only going to be like just casual games. There's, there's no nothing uh, competitive about it. So just a uh, yeah. Just yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I've been playing, uh, I've been playing a lot of Hail Caesar recently, just to oh, kind of yeah. get used to the game. You know, mm. um, it's pretty fun. Like, I in a way, I think, um, 
I, I think it's almost better than black powder. It feels a little bit more right. Um, again, like ne not necessarily that there's anything wrong with black powder per se, but um, I just I there there are just certain mechanics in Hail Caesar that I think I like more than um, than like in in black powder. You know what I mean? Um, have you ever yeah, played yeah. before? Uh, I played uh, the first edition of black powder a few years ago. Uh, right, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to. Have stick some stuff down it was another friend of mine had a had a similar project had a crime and rope project in down mm -hmm. palmerston north and i went down for a tournament down there and he had a display game and i had a couple um they played a day of that that was kind of it was good fun yeah 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 for sure um yeah and i've i had rick Priestley on um he was like one of my first guests on the show and uh Oh, yeah, cool. uh, he yeah. God, he's he's just written so many interesting sets of rules over the years, you know, or has had a hand in so many. Yet he's he's such a humble person, though. He almost uh, it almost feels like he doesn't really like talking about himself, you know. <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know. But I think like people like that, you know, great people usually don't like to talk about themselves, you know. So, um, you know what I mean. But um. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Wayne, I gotta say just one more time, um, I really appreciate uh, you know, you coming on and talking, you know, about your life and talking about like all the work that you've done. And, you know, it certainly has paid off given um, you know, Battlefront's popularity and 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 really just how much people like Flames of War, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's good it's good to see that people enjoy it. It's um because you always get like the we live in a world of social media, so half the social media you see all the time is always people complaining about things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, I mean, look, I've heard plenty of people, you know, complain about Flames of War. And don't get me wrong. Like, there are little things that, like, if I could wave my magic wand, I would change about the game. But oh, the yeah, point, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? But but that's with anything. And and you know what? Well, that's, the, that's usually why we do another edition. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, but, but I think that... Uh, I don't know. I think maybe sometimes people get jealous. It's like, you know, wh what are the companies that get the most flack? Like Battlefront, Warlord, Games Workshop. And it's because they're the biggest companies and they figured out how to make a profit off of games, you know? And I think that some people just, I, don't, I just think they don't like it. You know what I mean? I, mm. I think they want their hobby to be mom and pop and, you know, you know, going down to the corner store to buy your miniatures as opposed to like actually having a company that has done well, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, because, I mean, living in New Zealand, I'm always a little bit jealous of places like the States and, mm -hmm. um, and the UK where you do actually have like a local hobby store that you can go down. I mean, yeah. it's a bit it's a bit better here in Auckland because, I, I mean, Auckland is New Zealand's largest city. But um, but even, even here, there's only a few actual game stores that you can go in and play games. And, and a lot of them, because card gaming dominates – the, a lot of the gaming areas is, is dominated by card gaming areas. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah, so, because card games are what make money. I mean, for yeah. a lot of comic book stores, you know. Um, it's funny, like, uh, not to totally sidetrack, because I am, you know, like, just in, in the, for the sake of time, but, you know, there's, it's just such an easier entry point into card games where you're just buying, you know, your decks of cards. It's not like, you know, yeah. miniatures where there's just so many things that kind of go into it. So I think that a lot of, they're, they're more addicted than we are. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's like every time a new magic set comes out, it's like they, they just flock to the counters to get them, you know? Yeah. So it's a yeah, little I different. Mean, I mean, yeah, miniature gaming is, is, is kind of a multifaceted hobby. It's not just the, you're not just playing games and collecting cards or collecting miniatures. You've, you've got, you've got to paint the miniatures and then you get yeah. historical games. You might be doing some reading about your uh, historical choice and things like that. So 
it's it's a little bit more complex, but it is a more immersive hobby, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so um, so again, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Wayne. It was awesome talking to you. And no, no uh, worries. Yeah, and at some point or another, I I definitely love to have you on again because uh, again, yeah, yeah, sure. I love <laughs> miniatures, so it's always fun to always fun uh, to talk shop. And if I'm ever in New Zealand, I'll I'll definitely have to come by the. Uh, to come by the headquarters, you know? Yeah, yeah, do that. So, all right, cool. All right, everybody. So every, for everybody out there, thanks for listening. And and Wayne, uh, it was awesome talking to you. Thanks so much, man. Okay, bye. All righty, see you later. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org My Instagram handle is hmgs underscore nextgen underscore inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.